Gracious God and Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable to you through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Many uh, years ago, when we were living in Texas, I, I called Higginbotham's Hardware. They're, Higginbotham's is a, a chain in Texas, a building supply center. And I, I don't recall the reason, but I, I had a question and I, I was trying to do some sort of repair at home. And so I called, I had to leave a message and told them what my question was, what I was looking for, and left my name and number. And a day passed, two days passed, didn't get a call back. So I thought, well, I'll call again. So I did, had to leave another message, told them my name, my, my number, and what I was needing, and a day passed, another day passed, didn't get a response. So I did it a third time, and the same thing happened the third time. And I can recall speaking to our church secretary about it, and I said, Cindy, I said, I've called down to Higginbotham's three times trying to get some information, and I've never gotten a call back yet. And she looked at me and she said, Pastor, she said, I know those boys down there, and if they don't know you, they're not going to call you back. I was surprised by that, but I really shouldn't have been. Uh, it's our nature, it's human nature to form cliques. Elementary school children form cliques. You know, a, a clique is an exclusionary group, right? Uh, maybe there's a common interest there, but they're not really open to people coming in from the outside. That's a clique. You know, junior high and high school students form cliques. Adults in business form cliques. Members of churches form cliques as well. When we lived in Lafayette, back in the late 70s, Harriet and I were engaged, and um, she was working one summer down in a uh, Christian camp in Mississippi, and we were going to get married the next year, and so I took it upon myself to look around for a church home. And in those days, I was a Calvinist. I was, my, my theology was not Lutheran. It was more Reformed. And so I was looking at Presbyterian churches, and I visited a Presbyterian church in West Lafayette, and the preacher was wonderful. He was, had his doctorate, he was a great preacher, and I loved to listen to him. But whenever I would visit there, and I think I visited three Sundays in a row, no one greeted me. I would walk by people, they were in their little groups talking, and and you know, I understand sometimes important business is conducted in those little groups on a Sunday morning. I get that. But it should never be at the expense of a stranger. And every Sunday I went, I, I was never spoken to. It was as if I was invisible. Now, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever been somewhere and you felt as if you 
were invisible, as if you're kind of on the outside looking in. Well, you and I may be invisible to others, but we're not invisible to God. No one is invisible to Jesus. And I read from St. Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is what he wrote about you and about me. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised and neglected in the world, even things that are not. And think about here people that are invisible to others to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. You see, my friends, God knows not only those people who are highly visible, God also knows those who are invisible to others. And God loves to employ especially those who are invisible to others. In our gospel reading for this morning, page 8 of your bulletin, Luke chapter 10, we read, verse 1, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Now, note, this is not the sending of the 12 apostles. That occurred earlier. This is not the 18 that's being sent to evangelize. This is the B team. This is what we might call the second strain, maybe the junior varsity. We don't even know their names. They're not given to us. They are anonymous Christians, just like you and I might be anonymous to those who are important. But God knows their names, and God knows our names, according to verse 20. And just as these anonymous people are appointed to represent Jesus in the world, to evangelize, so are we. It's interesting when you track this in Luke's gospel. In, in Luke 4, Jesus alone is preaching the gospel. He's the only one. It starts with him. In Luke 9, Jesus sends out the 12 apostles two by two. So there are six evangelism teams. And here in Luke 10, Jesus sends out 72 others. There's now 36 evangelism teams. But it doesn't stop there. In Acts chapter 8, Luke tells us that there arose a great persecution of the saints in Jerusalem. And they were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria and beyond. And as they were scattered, as these Christian people, ordinary people, anonymous, they were proclaiming the good news of Christ. And it was a perfect opportunity to do so. You know why? Because when they left Jerusalem, people wanted to know why. Well, why did you leave Jerusalem? Well, it's because of the name of Jesus, because of the one who died and rose again. We, because we believe in the resurrection of the dead, we were cast out. You see, perfect opportunity to share the gospel. 
all of us, have those opportunities if we have the eyes to see. But even those 36 evangelism teams in our gospel lesson for today were not enough. Verse 2 of our gospel reading, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. That is to say, God appoints all of us to invite others to Jesus, and we do that by inviting them here on Sunday morning. We invite them to Alpha, Searching Scripture, IFC, Sunday School, fellowship events, on and on it goes. There are endless opportunities to bear witness to him through a simple invitation. And not only are we to invite, but we're to pray for others to do the same. That God would raise up others who would do the same. Because, page 9 in your bulletin, the outline, Roman numeral 1, our appointment, letter A, the mission dwarfs us. It dwarfs us. Imagine a garden full of ripe vegetables with no one to harvest them. And we would see that, we would look at that and shake our heads and say, what a waste. And yet the real harvest is out there or it's in our own families. And that produce is much more precious to God and to us than any vegetables in a garden. Letter B, we are prey among predators. How do you like that? We are prey among predators. Jesus says in verse 3, go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs into the midst of wolves. That is to say, we're, we're sort of at the bottom of the food chain, spiritually speaking. Jesus wants us to be weak and vulnerable before those to whom we bear witness. Why? Because only through our weakness will God be able to manifest his own strength. You see, our warfare is not carnal, it is spiritual. And it must, this battle, a spiritual battle, must be waged in a spiritual way, not in a carnal way, not in a worldly way. And let her see, just as shocking, Jesus unequips, <laughs> he unequips actually the 72, he unequips us. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Now, why does he do that? Why, why does Jesus plunge his people into situations that are clearly over their heads? Why does he put his people in a position of need? Well, it's so that we might learn to depend on him and him alone. He alone is our source, our supply. He is all we need. That's the lesson. What you share with others will create the hospitality and the welcome that you need. Now, we are invisible to the world as God's people. We're invisible to the world because Roman numeral two, our majesty is veiled. 
It's hidden. It is veiled. You see, there is a majesty that attends us, but it is hidden under weakness and vulnerability. It is the majesty of Jesus, who, in order to suffer and die for the sins of his enemies, submitted to his enemy's authority, and he refused to retaliate against his enemies. Now that, as we talked about this last Sunday, that is true strength. To refrain from revenge is true strength. But it is strength that is hidden under the appearance of weakness. Letter A, Jesus' majesty. You know, it's interesting. Jesus could draw a crowd through his preaching, but he would draw the world to himself through his dying. Jesus said, when I'm lifted up from the earth, meaning on the cross, I will draw all men to myself. Jesus said, now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. And unless a kernel of grain falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. You see, Jesus will accomplish more by dying than by living. He will accomplish more by weakness than by strength. Because the battle is the Lord's. And then letter B, there's our majesty. Jesus speaks to others through us. Verse 16, the one who hears you hears me. That is to say, when you speak the words of Jesus to someone, it's really not you who speaks. It is Jesus speaking to them. Now that's quite an honor. And there's majesty in that, but it's not a majesty visible to the eye. Number two, Jesus speaks to us through others, through our peers. And that's what I call, lowercase a, the offense of the gospel. Jesus approaches us through his word, but his word comes to us on the lips of those whom we, with whom we may differ. His word comes to us on the lips of those that we may dislike. Christ's audience found it offensive that God would so closely identify himself with a human being such as him, the son of a humble carpenter. That was offensive to many. Their attitude was, who does he think he is? Telling me what to think and to believe about God. Who is he? Who is he? In a similar way, we find it offensive that Jesus should so closely identify himself with any flawed human being, such as our pastor, or a parent, or a fellow member who proclaims the word of Jesus to us, we would rather disassociate the Lord from the person speaking so that we can justify ourselves before God. No, that's, that's not God speaking to me through you, can't be. That's our nature. To reject God when he comes to us through a peer. But that's how he comes. Jesus said, whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. 
Luther wrote that when the pastor speaks absolution or forgiveness to you, or when on God's behalf he speaks a word of correction to you, it's not the voice of a man that speaks. It's the voice of the Lord. There is an unbreakable chain of authority between the one who speaks God's word to you and the one who sent him to do it. And that Jesus would speak to you through one of your peers can be a humbling thing, but it is actually very gracious that God speaks to you through one of your own rather than through an angelic being which you would, not, which you would perceive as much more threatening. And let's face it, I am not a threat to you. Lowercase b. Treatment of the messenger equals treatment of Jesus equals treatment of God. That's the chain of authority. And let her see, we, and I mean all of us, have authority over the evil one. You can, inver uh, you can interpret verse 19 as literal. Serpents and scorpions will not harm us. There are some people down south that do that in snake handling services. They get bit and they die. We don't do that. I think, it's, I think it was certainly true of the apostles. In the book of Acts, a viper fastened himself on St. Paul's hand and St. Paul just shook him off into the fire, unharmed. That was literally fulfilled in the lives of the apostles. But I would take it figuratively, I would interpret it spiritually that the serpents and the scorpions symbolize the devil and his minions, and that's very real. Because when we absolve someone of his sins, we loose that individual both from his sin and from the devil's grip. Jesus said in Mark 3, he said this, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then he can plunder his goods. Now Jesus is speaking there of the ministry of the gospel. The strong man is the devil, his house is the world, and the binding of the devil occurs when the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed to people and they are set free and Satan's realm is plundered. The devil is bound through the preaching of the gospel. As Mark chapter 3 proclaims, Jude verse 6 proclaims, Revelation chapter 20 proclaims, People are delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of God, and their names are inscribed in the Lamb's book of life. And that is our joy. Roman numeral three, our joy. Our joy is not that someone is subject to us. That leads to pride. Our joy is that our names are written in heaven. Jesus says, your names are written. That's passive voice, meaning you're not doing the writing. Active voice would be, I'm doing the writing. I'm writing my name in heaven. No, it's not that way. Your names are written in heaven by someone else. You did not enter heaven on the basis of your own righteousness. 
and inscribe your own name in the Lamb's Book of Life, that was done for you. You were passive. God was active on your behalf. God the Father sent his Son into the world, Jesus, to remove all of your sins at the cross. And he's clothed you with his perfect righteousness in baptism, without your assistance, so that God himself would inscribe your name in the Lamb's Book of Life, because you are now his beloved child. We rejoice, not that anyone or anything may be subject to us, but that we have become subject to the God of all grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. My friends, you and I may be invisible. We may seem invisible to those who consider themselves to be something. We may feel as if we are anonymous at best. But you're not invisible to God. You are not anonymous to him. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ knows you. And he knows you by name. And he should, because he has written your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.